Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Happy Thanksgiving, and thanks for listening to this special Best of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. Good morning and welcome to the special best of edition of Mornings with Carmen on this Thanksgiving Day. I'm her producer, Paul Perot, And yes, since it's Thanksgiving, both Carmen and I are relaxing and spending time with our immediate families. Yeah, having to social distance. You know, this has been a hard year, thanks in part to the pandemic. But in spite of that, I hope you're cultivating a grateful heart and reconnecting with extended family, maybe making phone calls or even a Zoom video. Carmen often asked you, where in the word are you? Well, today, maybe that verse should be Habakkuk 3, verses 17 through 19. Here's what it says. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, and the flocks be cut off from the fold. And there is no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's and makes me tread on the high places. Okay, our our situation isn't literally as bleak as this, but it does seem bad. And many are struggling to handle the situation with the pandemic. Habakkuk, in his short book, was lamenting and complaining to God and about the judgment Judah was and was about to endure. Yet God made promises that Habakkuk could hold on to in the midst of the situation and be thankful. Maybe you've heard comparisons of our current COVID pandemic to the pandemic of 1918. Yeah, they had to do shutdowns too and limit activities. But at least we have the ability to make calls on our cell phones or make Zoom calls and and to order food and other things online. Plus, thanks to the news of vaccines that will be available hopefully in the next few months, there's a potential finish line. Plus, You know, God works all things together for good for his people, as we're reminded in Romans and other parts of the Bible. So hope in God and be thankful. As we continue with this Best of Mornings with Carmen show for this Thanksgiving Day, we know someday we'll be able to gather again with family and friends. And when we do, let's be intentional in not just reconnecting, but building into each other through hospitality. And to that point... On this Thanksgiving Best Of show, let's listen back to a conversation Carmen had with a family of ladies from Iowa who call themselves the Gigam Apron. They recently released a book called The Gathering Table. It's part recipe book, but also part invitation to take hospitality to the next level. We'll hear that conversation next as Mornings with Carmen continues here on Faith Radio. Well, joining me now, Annie Boyd and Denise Herrick. They are two of five women from one Midwest farm family. You can find them at theginghamapron.com. They're here to share 
their book with us, The Gathering Table, and also their um, their approach to faith and values and family and hospitality and getting together. So, uh, Annie and Denise, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Yeah, it's fun to have you both. Um, let's do this. Um, Annie, why don't you introduce yourself, and then Denise will ask you to do the same. Uh, introduce yourselves, how you're related to each other, and then um, who are the other three? So there you go. I'll pass the baton. Hi, Carmen. This is Annie. And Hi, Annie. I am Denise's daughter, and um, we also wrote this book with my sister, Jenny, and my sisters-in-law, Shelby and Molly. Thank you, Annie, for introducing yourself. Denise, you introduce yourself and tell us how this all came together. Okay. Um, hi. Uh, pleasure hi. to be on your show. And uh, I am uh, the mom, the patriarch, I guess, in, in this, in all of this. And, uh, yeah, we live on a farm in southwest Iowa. And um, uh, we just decided one day that we wanted to write a cookbook and was having a conversation with Annie and uh, said, well, and she said, yeah, I think we should. And I said, well, let's uh, ask the other girls. And, and everyone said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what we did. We just started on this project and had no idea what what we were uh, getting ourselves into. And um, so we wanted to publish we didn't want to self-publish. We wanted to get our book published, and because of that, we um, really learned how uh, all of this goes down, and it, it, it is a process. It takes a while if you've never published a book before, and so we um, went through a lot of hoops to get where we are to, to be holding a book in our hand, and we're so thankful and so excited about it. Well, it's so fun. And, you know, recipe books or recipe files. I have recipe cards from my grandma Robina in her own handwriting. Um, and so part of this is the, is the process of gathering those things together. But it's not just a cookbook. I mean, it's a, it's a how to cook up a good family cookbook, um, would be one way of saying this. There's a lot of faith woven in here. There's a lot of stories. Um, talk with us about what we find. Uh, in the gathering table, um, because there's there's a lot more here than just family recipes. Right. Well, I'll, I'll pull out a couple of two. There are several components. Um, when when that first conversation came up, I was saying to Annie, and what about Grandma Betty's potato salad? And what about Grandma Maxine's ginger cookies? And and you're right. Um, the traditions uh, are rich, and uh, we wanted to honor those in those um, older ones in our family uh, with the when we pull out those uh, stained recipe cards. Uh, we always think of those people, don't we? And so that was that was one part of it. We wanted to, um, you know, if we were going to write a book, we wanted to make sure that our readers knew that the Lord. Jesus Christ is a very, very important part of our lives. And so we wanted our faith uh, to be very transparent uh, throughout the book. Um, Annie, you want to finish some of the components? 
Sure. We um, decided to start gathering our recipes, but then we took it one step further and said, for one year, why don't we gather together once a month and cook through the recipes and enjoy a meal together? And so the book became the story of how our family um, gathered once a month over a year. And so you can kind of see... um, what it's like to be a farm family and how we learned um, hospitality and to enjoy one another and to celebrate our lives together as we chronicled this journey through the year. So that takes a lot of intentionality. Uh, I am talking with, uh, with Annie Boyd and Denise Herrick. Denise is the matriarch of the tribe that brought this together. Um, Collectively, they are the Gingham Apron. You can find them at theginghamapron.com. They also have a book, and that's what we're talking about today, and it's called The Gathering Table. Um, uh, Annie, let me let you continue to talk there about the intentionality that's required to actually make family events happen. It's one thing to say, hey, over the next year, we're going to get together once a month. It's another thing to manage all of the schedules and actually make that happen and get everybody together and then, you know, actually follow through. Talk about the role of intentionality in all of this. Okay. Um, a verse that we really focused on was First Peter 4, 9, which says to show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And so, um, as you, you just said, it does take a lot of planning and intentionality and um, imagination. And so um, at the beginning of the year, we talked about how each month is different with the different seasons in the Midwest. And so we kind of chose one event for each month of the year that would reflect the weather or the special event that was going on that month. And then um, we all worked together to include different recipes from our families. Um, And then we made sure to include the kids that are in our family. There are 10 grandkids all together. And so it just became a really beautiful project because each month the kids were learning to say, Oh, you know, what's happening this month? And, um, where we'll be eating together with our family and we could see the value of the um, practicing of hospitality because it was growing the relationships closer in our family. Yeah, I just love that. The importance of community, the connection across generations, all of that really comes to life uh, in the book. The book is The Gathering Table. My conversation partners are Annie Boyd and Denise Herrick. And when we come back, I'm going to... um. I'm going to ask Denise to talk a little bit about traditions and how they're constructed and kept. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen, and we'll be right back. Oh, I know all I owe, I owe, I owe away. I owe, I owe all I owe, and I know why. I am, I owe. Continuing my conversation with two of the five women in the Gingham Apron, I really encourage you to check out the website, the Gingham Apron. Dot com. First of all, you get to see really cute pictures of the five. Um, and yes, if you scroll down the page, you get to see them in their gingham aprons. Um, and so, of course, I recommend that because I'm a visual person. Um, I also, I just love that your byline is taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, that's what we talk about here every Tuesday. We're, we're just 
we just delight in people um, making Christ known and the breaking of the bread, and that's what you guys are doing. So The Gathering Table is the book, Growing Strong Relationships Through Food, Faith, and Hospitality. The Gingham Apron uh, are the five women who um, brought it all together. And I have two of them here today, Annie Boyd and Denise Herrick. So, Denise, talk with us about um, maybe the creation and cultivation of traditions, how they're constructed and kept over time across generations. That is something that uh, I experienced uh, actually my whole life. But as a little girl, uh, many of us in our uh, on my mom's side of the family, uh, we went to church together. And uh, I would say once a month we would get together with uh, my mom's folks for a, a family gathering um, in their tiny little house, and it didn't matter how tiny it was. There were 13 grandkids, and um, we loved it, and we looked forward to it. And it takes uh, intentionality. It takes work. But because you love your family and you want to serve them, uh, and you want to show the importance of um, that connection from generation to generation, um, you just do it. You plan ahead, and you just do it, and and then you see the importance um, of uh, getting together and um, that everyone loved it and that connections get closer and closer and closer. And even today, I am on a text message group with 13 grandkids to this day. And, um, and it's because, you know, I look back, it's because my grandparents uh, made that commitment to the family. And so I, I wanted, I see the richness of it. I see the importance of it. And um, I, I wanted to do the same thing. So um, I'm curious when you when you think about all of the family recipes that you guys are basically giving away, right? Is there any is there any sense that like oh this which was which was kept so closely and guarded, you know, Grandma Betty's key lime pie or the potato salad or the ginger cookies? Like now everybody in the whole world is going to know. Is there is there any sense of that? Because I know people who are who are kind of like that about their you know, their most treasured family things, but you guys are just giving it all away to all of us, inviting us all in. Well, I think that, you know, food is just the the tool that helps hmm. gather people together and that um, it helps build the relationships. And that's the most important thing. So I guess we didn't really think of it as family secrets to keep, but instead of a gift that we You're not like those another. bushes, beans, see those bushes, beans people. They're keeping it in a vault, right? Yeah. No, we're not. no, we're not. No, we're not. Okay, talk with me about, can we have a corn conversation? <laughs> yes. We okay. know it well. <laughs> yeah, because I'm guessing that if we were to look out your window right now, you have either already harvested or on the verge of harvesting corn. Am I right? You're right. Uh, a few, a few fields have been harvested. They're working on soybeans right now, but um, there's a lot of corn to be harvested real soon, and yes, corn okay, and this is, us. And this is, um, this is corn that is going to be feed corn for animals. Is that right? Correct. Or do you grow sweet Correct. corn? Okay. So, uh, because I think that's a, that's like a thing that people in cities and in other parts of the country, they don't even know that there's like a huge difference. Just because I'm driving through you know, miles and miles and miles and miles and miles of corn. That's actually not corn that 
um, is going to end up on the plate in terms of corn. It's going to end up on the plate in terms of beef. Correct. Absolutely. That's correct. Yeah. So uh, when we decided to do our sweet corn factory, it's just the sweet corn factory is something we've done for a long, long time every year, you know. Um, So, uh, yeah, the sweet corn is the the edible kind, and um, there are uh, many stations involved in putting sweet corn into the freezer. Mm-hmm. So, um, as the has we have come together over the years, and then our children, um, everybody wanted to stay in the kitchen and help out and, and bag the corn and cut the corn. And one uh, one little trick that we have is to use uh, an angel food cake pan or a bunt pan and put the corn on top of that, and then use an electric knife and zip 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 all the way around the ear, and it goes it goes fast. So of course every Every child wants that station because they think it's so fun. But, um, yeah, we can, we can put up a lot of corn in a few hours when uh, we've got these stations all around our kitchen. And, boy, do we, we think about it when uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas come because we always pull out our frozen corn for the holidays. And um, so not only do we enjoy uh, that bagged corn for a special event, a holiday, but we also have the memory of what we did just a few months ago with all the kids in the kitchen. So, Annie, I'm curious, when you think back over the course of your life, are there um, are there things that you did growing up that now you're doing with the next generation, and you just say to yourself, this kind of defines, this is one of those events, those family gatherings that really kind of defines who we are as a family. Oh, definitely. And as you've seen in the book, each chapter is kind of a snapshot of the traditions that our family holds. My mom just talked about one, which is a sweet corn factory. We did that every summer growing up. And now I'm the mom of five kids. And now my kids join into that as well. Um, Another chapter is called the Real Tailgate Party, which we do every fall. We um, take a warm and hearty meal out to the field and serve the men in our family who are out there harvesting because they're just simply too busy to stop and come in for a good meal. And now my kids and my nieces and nephews tag along and are part of that as well. And so, yeah, it was just a really fun project to be able to capture all these different traditions and practices that I grew up doing in now the next generation is doing with our family. It's, it's a beautiful book. It's really fun. You all invite us in, um, not only to your table and to the recipes, but you invite us into your faith, um, the scripture throughout the book, the, the stories that you tell. It's really just, it's, it's just delightful. It's a great gift book um, for those of you who might be looking for, um, you know, for something Mm, to grace your Thanksgiving Day table. Talk with us, um, but we got a couple of minutes left. Either one of you can pick up this. When um, when a generation begins to move away, how do we continue to include them um, in these really important rhythms that you know require face to face participation? Well, I think uh, once again, intentionality uh, is so important. Uh, to get together for those family reunions and 
uh, as farming goes, uh, we kind of pay attention to the seasons. We live our lives by the seasons. So we know the busy times. We know the not-so-busy times. And um, and we just have to work around uh, what the farmers are doing. And that's that's how we are one way we are different from from others. Um, we really do have to do things according to the weather. And so on a rainy day, you know, that's getting together and, and uh, going to town, going shopping, whatever. Um, uh, we do it when when the guys can, can, can come in. So, um, but back to... Uh, Getting, Do you have any of these? I think maybe. Yeah, I think state. maybe the question is right. Like, are you are you guys at the stage where everybody's still right there, or have you begun uh, to arrive at that at that stage where people have begun to move away? Oh yes, we want them to move away if that's what the Lord wants them to do. Absolutely do. But uh, we also need to plan ahead and say, okay, it, it is important. Uh, our our family's important. Traditions mm-hmm. are important. So when can we all get together again? And just like the planning of the book, we sit down and decide what we're going to do and when we're going to do it. And um, and like so many and, families, and then set it, it as a priority. Out, but we're very pur- purposeful about it. Yeah, I love that. It's intentional. It's purposeful. Um, you make family a priority. The traditions yeah. really matter. The community, the connections, it's across generations. I just love it. It's all just great. Annie and Denise, thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. The book is The Gathering Table. Uh, the website is theginghamapron.com. I know you can follow them on Instagram. All right. Thank you, ladies, so much. Have a great day. Thank you, Carmen. Thank you. you too. God bless Absolutely. you. Absolutely. You too. Happy Taste and See Tuesday. We'll be right back. (laughs) Again, good morning and thanks for joining us for the special Best of Mornings with Carmen on this Thanksgiving Day on Faith Radio. I'm Paul Perot. And did you know that this year marks the 400th anniversary of the Pilgrims landing at Plymouth Rock in what became Massachusetts? You know, there are many legends around these brave people who sought personal and religious liberty. Well, up next, we're going to hear Carmen's conversation with historian Derek Wilson. He recently released a book called The Mayflower Pilgrims. That conversation comes your way in five minutes here on Faith Radio. We're going to evaluate even that statement that comes to us in terms of what we think we know about the Mayflower and those who sailed upon it. The book is The Mayflower Pilgrims, Sifting Fact from Fable. Derek Wilson is uh, is the author. He's a renowned historian, author of many books. Uh, he is one of the U.K.'s leading authors of history and historical fiction. Uh, some of his books that you might well recognize uh, would be Out of the Storm, The Life of Martin Luther, the Brief History of the English Reformation, Religion, Politics, and Fear, Mrs. Luther and Her Sisters, The Women of the Reformation, uh, and just a couple of years ago, Superstition and Science, Mystics, Skeptics, Truth Seekers, and Charlatans. Today's book, The Mayflower Pilgrims, Sifting Fact from Fable. Derek Wilson, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Oh, nice to be with you. Well, it's it's lovely to have you. Um, so there are a lot uh, a lot of things that Americans think they know 
about the Mayflower and those who sailed upon it. Um, and you approach this exercise of sifting fact from fable, um, really much like a forensic detective might um, examine something that has happened and try to sort out the truth from all of the things that people have described over time. How do you do that? What is the process at this point of looking back some 400 years to try to discover who these people really were, how they lived, and what really happened? I think there's something we need to to, um, distinguish between history and, and folklore. History helps us to understand the past. Folklore helps us to feel good about ourselves in the present. And um, folklore often simplifies, romanticizes, and um, we historians, I suppose, our children would come along and say, well, perhaps it wasn't quite like that, and perhaps these people weren't quite the the heroes and the heroines and the pure as pure people we thought they were, no, but they were ordinary men and women like us, and we can learn something from them. And history says there are things we need to to know when we're we're thinking about any individual or any group of people in the past. The first is, where did they come from? What was their background? How did they get to where they were? And the second is, what was the world like in which they lived? Because the world they lived in is very different from the world we live in. So I'm um, just to take one example. I mean, sometimes said, sometimes thought. I think that um, uh, the pilgrims were people fleeing from persecution. Well, I mean, if your government or my government today said you must believe such and such, you must be Episcopalian, you must be Methodist, you must be Presbyterian, or whatever, we would rightly, rightly say this is an attack on our freedom. Uh, we, we, we resent this. We're not going to be told what we believe. And we, 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 we believe that the state is persecuting us. Things were very, very different in, in, in the mid to late 16th and 17th century when, um, for example, uh, England was at war with Spain and the government had a right to expect that, her, that the citizens would be united um, in, their, in their fight with Spain. They only had to look across the channel to see what was happening in France where the wars of religion were in progress and Protestants and, and Catholics were fighting each other, massacring each other, um, uh, assassinating each other. It was an appalling time, and any government would have said, well, we don't want our, our nation to fall into that sort of a state. So um, I just wanted to make, to try and make clear that that was the kind of world they lived in, and we have to need, need to understand them in relation to that world. Yeah, I I found the um, the eighth chapter of the book really particularly fascinating on this particular point. So maybe introduce people, take us to the East Midland um, countries of Europe and what you describe as the Midlands nursery. And then if you'll indulge me, my mom was fond of saying when we were growing up, you are who you were when. And by that, she meant that we were the products of time and place and circumstance and opportunity um, and products of generations of Indiana farm families um, and our lineage, you know, through these English and German immigrants who became the Ludwig Ringwald Benefiel Fowlers, right? And so, uh, like, when I think about who I am and how I'm wired, I'm pretty sure my people were nomadic and adventuresome. The one time that I visited England, I left thinking to myself, I know why my people left here. Like I so I I do. There's something to this. Like there's some there's something to this. So talk about the East Midland countries of Europe. Um, The the chapter is the Midlands nursery. 
Yes, the Midlands, uh, the Midland counties of, of England, um, Nottinghamshire, Lincolnshire, that area, um, were those areas were, were one of the areas uh, which was most affected by the Protestant winds blowing across from the from the continent. That was because they were they were in touch with France and and, and the Netherlands particularly uh, through through trade, and so books and ideas uh, spread most easily in that, in that part of the world. And uh, what uh, happened was that people who who uh, believed certain of uh, that certain groups are on the continent had a greater understanding of Christian truth than a lot of people in England, and particularly the the Church of England, the official Church of England, um, they wanted to purify the national church. So, so we call them Puritans. Uh, and they didn't like the way the clergy dressed. They didn't like uh, some of the ritual in the services. They didn't like the the way that um, the church was um, governed itself. They thought that wasn't very in line with the New Testament and so on. Various things they disapproved of. Now, you can, you can do uh, one of three things if you disapprove of, or you could do one of three things if you disapproved of what the, the, the church was, the, your national church was. You could grin and bear it. You could try and change it, or you could emigrate and go somewhere else where you'd be more comfortable. And that that last group, the emigres, were the, the smallest group, and we call them separatists. They wanted to, they, they don't want nothing to do with the Church of England. We will separate and we will go somewhere else where we can still be British, we can do English. And they, they clung furiously to their Englishness, but where we can worship as we want to worship. So this group... Um, a particular group we tend to look upon as the, the founders of the Pilgrim Fathers, um, which met in a, in a village called Scrooby, were just one group of several groups that eventually um, made their way across the, the North Sea to the Netherlands, where there was a more where there was a Protestant uh, society, and where it was more broad-minded than um, what was happening in England. The, the, the Scrooby settlement, um, the Scrooby group of um, pure, separate or, or Puritan Christians, were just one group. And because two or three members of that group became very prominent uh, among, the, among the pilgrims and then in the, in the settlement um, eventually in America, people tend to take them as the, the typical pilgrims. Mm. But they were... There were just some of them, and they were quite a very group of people. So um, we're going to, yeah, absolutely. We're going to continue this conversation with Derek Wilson, um, author of The Mayflower Pilgrims, Sifting Fact from Fable, in just a moment. Um, During the break, I want you as a listener to consider, what do you think you know? What do you think you know um, about the pilgrims, um, particularly those who came uh, on the voyage of the Mayflower? And is it possible that some of the things that you think you know are not historically accurate. That's actually the conversation we're seeking to have today. More up next on Mornings with Carmen. Hi, 
All right, as Christians, we have this understanding of being pilgrims, um, people who are really never fully at home uh, here and in the here and now, uh, looking forward to a place that is not made by human hands um, and eternal in the heavens. But we do live in the midst of this world as representatives of that king and that kingdom. And so when we talk about the nation states in which we live, the places and times uh, assigned to us by a sovereign God, we then look back over um, over the course of time at how our nations came to be. And certainly for the United States of America, a seminal event, in fact, maybe the seminal event, is the arrival of the Mayflower Pilgrims. Joining me now, uh, Derek Wilson, just a fantastic historian and prolific author, and we're talking today about his book, The Mayflower Pilgrims, Sifting Fact from Fable, you know, really trying to look back some 400 years and get to know the 102 men, women, and children who made that transatlantic voyage in 1620. Um, Derek, I, maybe maybe help us see one of the distortions that we what's what is something that we think we know about these people and uh, and this period of time that is simply inaccurate? Well, I think just one point you just just mentioned you, you referred to the 102 pilgrims, but of course they they weren't all religious immigrants. Um, only um, numbers vary, but only about 35 of them were actually we can associate with uh, the um, people who are coming for religious reasons. This voyage was just one of several voyages that were planned and executed at this particular time because England was was playing catch-up with countries like Spain and Portugal and, to a certain extent, Holland in the colonizing race. Um, we had sort of fallen behind the, the attempts uh, to uh, plant colonies in other lands, but now we were playing catch-up. And um, companies like the Virginia Company were, were set up to um, to organize this. James the James the first claimed a great chunk of the American seaboard and right this is now English territory, and we will plant people there to uh, to go and the land and um, and make it prosper. Uh, and the, the company was. And they recruited anybody that they could find all for all sorts of reasons, and so um, you know, we had a, a great hodgepodge of people—people people who were landless younger sons, people who were jailbirds, um, people who were, uh, just hadn't managed to be a success, people who were, who were deeply in debt, as well as people who were, were leaving for reasons of principle. And so, you know, it's this great mixture of, of men people that, that come across, and just a few of them were what we would now think of as the pilgrims. Yeah, that's so fascinating. That, that's the, the, yeah, the landless, I mean, when you describe the group of people, um, you know, who we might all have thought were fleeing religious persecution, religious immigrants, you know, in reality, you know, maybe a third of them fall into that category, at least in this particular voyage. But these landless younger right. sons, the jailbirds and the people deeply in debt we do not tend to think of like, oh yeah, that's that's the crew, um, that's the that's the group of people who arrives to uh, to settle this brave new world. Um, but it's not surprising. I mean, when we if we were to spend much time really thinking about it, it doesn't surprise us that that would be true. Those would be the people who would be, you know, the go west young man. Um, 
folks. They're looking for a, a new opportunity, a literal literal new life. Absolutely, yes. Uh, and so first of all, they went looking for it um, uh, in in the Netherlands because um, in the, North, the northern Netherlands was in revolt against the, the Spanish the Spanish overlords and establishing a a new independent Protestant state. And uh, they too wanted um, sympathetic people to come and settle in their land to help build up industry and trade and so on. So uh, a lot of people went from England there, and again, some of them out of religious motivation, and others because they thought, well, I'm not making much of a success of my life in England, perhaps I can do better somewhere else. Like all Spanish uh, immigration, if you decided that um, perhaps you might go and live in Australia or somewhere, you would weigh up all the pros and cons, and you would think, why am I making this decision? Um, how is life going to be better there? Um, why do I want to do it? Do I really want to do it? Do I want my children to go out there? And so on and so forth. And, and it was exactly the same for people then. I know, awfully, tremendously mixed motives. And that's why, or was one of the reasons why, uh, the, the initial move to, to Holland didn't turn out very well, because um, people found that, uh, that Holland wasn't the nirvana they hoped it was going to be, uh, that some, some of them uh, were very successful in, in business, some of them established, established uh, good communities, others couldn't do so well. Some of them eventually came back to England. Some of them uh, migrated to America. Some of them stayed in, stayed in, in Holland. So it's a um, movement of, of people for all sorts of reasons that we have to try and get our heads around. And that I think it's useful to do that because then we realize that these were people like us. Uh, we, we can spend a lot of time thinking about, are we people like them? And then pick on the... Uh, the more heroic aspects of of, um, of our ancestors and say, yes, we are people like that. But look at the other way around. They are people like us, a mixture of people, a mixture of heroes and heroines, villains and ne'er-do-wells. And that, it seems to me, is more realistic way of looking at and evaluating our past. Absolutely. I also think it helps us maybe be more gracious and open to the realities around the world today in terms of the motivations of people who desire to immigrate. There there are people yeah. who have religious motivations to leave where they are and seek freedom somewhere else. They are being persecuted for their beliefs in a particular place. And there are people Absolutely. who who want to immigrate for economic reasons. Um, they want a new opportunity. They want um, they want the promise of a new place, the, the opportunity of a new place. Maybe they are today landless younger sons um, or people deeply in debt. I mean, on and on and on and on. So I do think that looking at this history and understanding these people and their motivations and the time period in which they lived and the places from which they came um, helps us see ourselves. And I, I trust that is that's kind of your goal. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've achieved it. Um, I'm Sorry? You have achieved it. Thank you. you... <laughs> well. <laughs> well, it's a delight. I got to let right. you go because we are out of time today. Um, but Derek Wilson, what what a pleasure to have the opportunity to talk with you. Um, your your writing career has been prolific. You have brought history into view for us. Um, it, particularly, I mean, I, one of my favorite books um, that you wrote is Mrs. Luther and Her Sisters, Women in the Reformation. That's just one of my favorites. Thank you for bringing people into view for us to see 
um, who have been sometimes written out of history and sometimes whose histories have been rewritten by uh, by myths over time. I just I appreciate the clarity with which you are helping us see who we are by helping us see the histories from which we have come. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. We'll be right back. Well, again, thanks for listening to the special Best of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio for this Thanksgiving Day. You know, it was interesting hearing a bit more about the pilgrims. There are so many myths and misunderstandings about them, but I think the point that really stuck out to me from that conversation was that although they lived in different times with different circumstances, they in many ways were people just like you and me. They were looking for opportunities, whatever their motivation, to better their lives. And viewing them in that way can actually bring them closer to us. I'm Paul Perot, and I hope you stay with us for another hour of the special Thanksgiving Mornings with Carmen. Or check out the podcast later at MyFaithRadio.com. And while there, I hope you learn more about how you can help bring light to others during this Christmas season through the great giveaway. Join Faith Radio in doing random acts of kindness this Christmas season. And at MyFaithRadio.com, you can sign up to receive some special free notes that you can include with your acts of kindness. So start a ripple effect of kindness in your community this Christmas season. Again, learn more at MyFaithRadio.com. And thanks again for listening to Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio. Hour 2 is straight ahead. Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge.